You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com. Hi, this is Gary Cohn. Welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit, business, and philanthropic world. Today, our guest is Mike Levin. Mike is the founder of the Jewish Future Pledge. Mike Levin is a legendary business executive and visionary philanthropist. Inspired by Warren Buffett and Bill Gates's Giving Pledge, Mike co-founded the Jewish Future Pledge to carry on his family's commitment to Judaism. Mike currently serves on the board of the Marcus Foundation, AE5 Fraternity Foundation, Birthright Israel Foundation, the Board of Advisors for Prager University, and many others. Professionally, Mike ended his tenure in 2019 as Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of the Georgia Aquarium to devote more time to charitable endeavors like the Jewish Future Pledge. In the past, he served as President and Chief Operating Officer of Las Vegas Sands Corporation, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of U.S. Franchise System, the President and Chief Operating Officer of Holiday Inn Worldwide, and the President of Days in America. Mike is the author of a book, Can't Do It Yourself, How Commitment to Others Leads to Personal Prosperity, which shares his roadmap for personal and professional success, ending each chapter with a lesson to live by in business and life. Mike is a graduate of Tufts University, and has a master's degree in communication from Boston University. Mike, welcome to our program. Thank you, Gary. Nice to be here. Can you share with us a little bit about your path growing up in the Boston area and to college and then into the business world? How did you get where you are now? (laughs) Well, The short story. (laughs) uh, Well, I wrote a book, actually, about how I got here, but uh, I don't know how much time we have for for, for the talk. But I grew up in a 20th century shtetl, in, uh, in the Boston area called Mattapan, Dorchester, and Roxbury, uh, housing about 86,000 Jews at one time. In my grammar school class, there was one Gentile, and the rest were all Jews up through the sixth grade until I got into junior high school. I grew up with my maternal grandparents. Uh, one was from uh, a small town outside of Odessa, and the other was from a farm in Lithuania. I'm an only child. Uh, we lived in a uh, one-bathroom apartment with a... Uh, without a refrigerator to begin with, and um, had ice delivered by a horse and buggy as a kid. I did five days of Hebrew school when I was young, and uh, my grandfather was the vice president of a modern Orthodox show. I went to a conservative temple there. We had a kosher home. Uh, I grew up with uh, with uh, not Shabbos, uh, uh, not missing a Shabbos dinner with my family uh, every uh, every Friday. Went to a Jewish camp. Uh, went to a, a, a magnet high school called Boston Latin School. From there, I went to college and was preparing to be a lawyer. Went to law school for a short period of time. Didn't like it. I went back to Boston. We had moved to Brookline by that time, as most of the Jews had moved out by 1968. There were practically no Jews there. They were gone from that area. They'd gone northwest and, and, and uh, south of Boston. After, after go, when I went to BU, I got a master's in communication uh, from uh, Boston University School of Communication and wanted to go into advertising and 
public or public relations, even though I didn't know much about either one. Couldn't get a job. Uh, 1961, I started in the hotel business. And of the 60 years I worked, I spent about 50 years uh, working in the hospitality industry uh, for three or four different companies. Ended up uh, having my own company, took it public, sold it, eventually retired and went to, went to the Marcus Foundation to run the foundation for a couple of years, ran the aquarium. And while I was at the aquarium the first time, uh, I was on the board of Las Vegas Sands Corporation, received a call from Sheldon Adelson, wanted a hospitality guy on his board who was taking his company public at the time. I went, came, went on it public. Stock went from uh, initial offering price of $29 to $148. Uh, then went down to a dollar thirty-six, and uh, Sheldon decided to change his leadership and offered me the job as president. I became very involved in the Jewish world when I moved to Atlanta back in the, 1985. I was away from the Jewish world. I, I was, you know, from the days I was a counselor at camp uh, and an athletic director at a Jewish camp called Camp Tevier in Brooklyn, New Hampshire. Famous so your camp. Jewish roots are very strong in your background. Very I strong. read your article in the Atlanta Jewish Press from last Rosh Hashanah about carrying your grandmother's prayer book, Sidur, yeah. to, to services. Yeah, I used to do that. And uh, and I used to, you know, I, I have with me uh, two of these little boxes that I bought on auction because we used to have them uh, in my apartment in Boston as a kid. I, I used to drop my pennies in and every Friday afternoon, the... Uh, a little old guy with a sack over his back and uh, would take our filled up box and give us a new one. And for my listeners, what he just showed me on the screen, which you can't see, is a uh, traditional JNF uh, Tzedakah box that we all had as children growing up. Sure. I grew up with that. I went away from Judaism for a while uh, after college and after I fit, you know, and when I started to work, uh, when I got married, I got married in 61, married 60 years. Uh, my wife was more interested in making sure we belonged to a synagogue uh, wherever we were with our kids. We bought mitzvah with our kids. Our day school was out of the question. We couldn't afford it. And my kids went to a camp of all Jews, but not necessarily a Jewish camp by definition. Well, let me ask you a question about you grew up, grandparents were Orthodox, you're, you grew up in a conservative movement. Where are you today? What movement are you part of? Or are you part of any movement? Yeah, I, I, uh, we belong to the temple in Atlanta. I'm a, I'm a twice a, twice a year uh, synagogue goer. Well, my, my uh, good friend Mark so Jacobson has been the executive director of the temple uh, since yeah, he was 15 years right. old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know Mark very well. And I was uh, somewhat involved in the hiring of Peter Berg, who's a great rabbi, a terrific right. rabbi. I'm very proud of what he's been able to do there. And uh, so that that's it. Uh, so let me ask you a question and go in this direction. Um, you said your first job in the hotel business was back in uh, after you decided not to be in the PR business. What was your first job? Well, I, I didn't decide not to be in the PR business. Oh, they decided. <laughs> yeah, they decided. I, I couldn't get into PR because in those days, in the 60s, you had to have experience of writing in a newspaper. I wrote the only newspaper I wrote in, I was a sports editor for the Tufts Weekly. <laughs> I went to college. I was good at English. I was a good writer, but I couldn't get a job. And more important than that, I applied to about, I don't know, 30 advertising agencies in Boston and New York. 
and I couldn't get a job. I I got close to a job in media buying, but I wanted to be in the management training program and none of them were taking Jews. Right. So I couldn't, I couldn't get in. So, so I went to BU placement and they, uh, they said, well, we got a job as a sales promotion manager at the hotel Roosevelt in New York city. And, uh, I said, well, I, I don't know really what a sales promotion manager does. <laughs> so I, I, uh, um, I went down, took an interview, and I interviewed with a company that was run by Sinesta, or it became Sinesta Hotels in Boston, and uh, went down and went to their, their PR, their uh, personnel guy, and then I went down to New York and uh, interviewed with a guy named Ed Rogers, uh, who was the personnel director. Uh, and he said, this is a great job. It pays uh, $500 a month, actually $495 a month, and you get free lunch. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I said, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, you take care of the signs and the buildings and the brochures and things like that and whatever. I, I didn't have the slightest idea what it was about. Uh, so I took the job, and 30 days later, they eliminated the job. And they said, you look like a good sales guy. We'll put you into sales. I'd never been in sales, uh, except in, uh, uh, when I was rush chairman of the, my API fraternity in, the, in college, when I was trying to get people to join the fraternity, that was the only sales I ever did. My father was a traveling salesman. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he used to be out of town tw- two days, uh, one week and uh, one day the next. And I never knew anything. I hadn't read Death of the Salesman, the play. If I had, I probably never would have gone into sales. But uh, um, I'm a big Arthur Miller fan anyway, but I, I never got to that at that yeah. time in my life. And, uh, uh, and then I, I, uh, uh, I got a good break. They fired my boss and, and another guy came in when I was in sales and, and I, I ended up loving it. I, I, had, uh, I enjoyed meeting the different people. Uh, knock, in those days, you could knock on doors and make cold calls. I faced some rather extraordinary anti-Semitic incidents, mm-hmm. you know, commentary when I was out there. There were very few Jews doing it, if any. They, the Jews basically, like my, my father-in-law said, well, Jews own the hotels. They don't, they're not salespeople. You know? <laughs> so uh, so I, I, and then I, I just stayed in the business and I was very fortunate. The industry just grew dramatically uh, over the years I was in it. I was involved uh, in lots of organizations and uh, the American Hotel Lodging Association, Hotel Sales Management Association. And I got to know the people and I was actually pretty good at sales, but I always wanted to manage, I always wanted to lead and uh, I wanted to go into uh, broader subjects. And I, That's a good segue. So let's move into that direction. Did you always have a goal of becoming a CEO or when did you become, when did you have that goal? I never had a goal of uh-huh. becoming a CEO, never. I, I, I get that question all the time, actually, Gary, especially when I'm talking in school. My only goal, every job I had was to do, to do the job, to do it better and to succeed in it. And, and, uh, but what happened was that I didn't like the idea of people on top of me making decisions, making different decisions than I was making, that it was hard for me to get things done. So basically I said, well, if I'm going to make my life better, if I'm going to make it easier for me to succeed. I have to be in a position more of authority. I always liked leading people. I was a coach, you know, little league coach, you know, I did all those kinds of things. And, and uh, I always was a team leader and, and as a counselor when I was managing softball teams and things like that. And I always liked, and I was also a director in the theater. 
because I was a minor in theater arts in college. And I always, I sort of liked putting things together that way and leading others. So uh, I think that sort of pushed me into uh, wanting to be in operations. And I actually was director of marketing at the Plaza Hotel in New York. And uh, uh, an opportunity came up to become resident manager of a hotel in the Bahamas. And I said, that'll get me into operations because I could get more more satisfaction out of that. So I then be, uh, then went there and uh, got some operating experience and some travel experience and, uh, market, you know, broad marketing experience. So it, it just sort of came along the way. Uh, and, and really, it took a long time before uh, I managed to get into the particular opportunities that I thought I'd like to be doing. But it was not really a goal. I just wanted to get more responsibility and and more leadership. So on the leadership front, on the leadership side of things, you know, there's always this discussion about: Do you have? Do you need to have born leadership qualities, or can you teach someone to be a great leader? What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? I get that question all the time. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I think that there's certain elements of leadership that can be taught. But not all. I think as an only child, I had the responsibility. It was also I had a responsibility built in. I had a I had a uh, I, I was, I, you know, I actually grew up with two fathers and two mothers because I had both my grandparents and whatever. And my father was in World War Two. He was away for a couple of years. But I, I always I always wanted to prove myself to my parents and prove myself to my grandparents that I that I was I was good and whatever I did. And whether it be school, whether it be sports, whether it be uh, whatever, and uh, even even in Hebrew school, I, I was a, I didn't like it, but I was a decent student, uh, even though I got a C in conduct. So, uh, uh, so I, I think I think I think I had I had a a need a need to prove myself, and and I think and and I and, and it wasn't money that was that ever drove my it ever drove my ambitions. My ambitions was just to, just to be in a position of leadership. That's why I really like even some of the jobs I had that were big financial jobs, but they were, they were just, you led a lot of people. And my last big job, of course, was in Las Vegas Sands. We had 50,000 employees. That was, I mean, as much of a leadership thing as I could ever imagine doing. So yeah. I, think, I think it's a combination of, of how you grow up uh, a combination of a little bit of luck and a combination of actually accepting the responsibility of what leadership is, knowing that the fact that the people that you're leading are going to help you to win if it's an athletic event or help you to be successful in whatever you're doing. Well, I always believed uh, in my career of hiring the best people I could find and let them do their work and guide them along the way, as opposed to having people on the team that I could control. I never wanted to do that. And yeah, I think that I, you're uh, talking about the same thing. Yeah, Gary, I 100% agree. My book says, uh, Can't Do It Yourself. Uh, that's the title of my book. And uh, it proves that and I have, I have people that I've worked with over the years, 50 years ago, that I'm still in touch with today. Uh, and, and I guess the greatest example, one person I let go actually came back and re- recommended me for, my, for a job that was my first real presidency. Yeah. So I, I, I've always, and I've always enjoyed having the responsibility of helping others to be successful. And I think that's, 
that sort of leads to my charitable activities now. I'm just Let me ask you one question, one more question on the business side, and then we'll go to the charity side. Um, most successful people uh, talk about having a mentor or a few mentors in their career. Who had a great impact on your life and guiding you? I, I, uh, I, 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 that's also a, a, rather a question I've dealt with before. I think every boss I've had and every non-boss I've had, including going back to a, a director of my, when I was at camp, you know, when I was a camper, I couldn't get the job I wanted when I when I was uh, a senior and leaving because my, my director said I wasn't ready, I wasn't mature enough, so I had to go out and get more maturity. Took me back two years later. He was a teacher at Latin school where I went to high school, and uh, uh, and, and I watched him and 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 how he led and everything. And I and I think that that everywhere I went, I've had so many bosses over the course of all the years that I'd say that I learned something almost from every one because you don't always learn the good. You sometimes learn the bad. Right. So I can't define one mentor of mine from a business standpoint that I would say this was the best men- this was the best mentor. But I will tell you that that I learned so much from my father, who was a salesperson because of the relationships he had with customers. And he always talked about them. He even used to stay at their homes and things like that. So I became very focused on the customer. And I learned an immense from my mother, who unfortunately died very young uh, at 56, because the way she got along with people and the way she handled problems and whatever. So I think I think between the two of those, I'd say they were the best mentors I ever had. Oh, wonderful. You are listening to The Road to Philanthropy. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Let's uh, turn to the Jewish Future Pledge and talk about that for a while, because that's really one of the keys of, of having you on my program. What what was you, uh, the beginnings of that? Uh, obviously, you were Im- impacted by the Giving Pledge. Well, here's what happened. I, I, I For many years, I've been involved in an enormous amount of Jewish organizations and, and, and Jewish situations since 1985 going forward. I even went to Israel in 1971 on business, so I've been connected there for so many years also. I've been very worried about the future of the Jewish people, the future of the state of Israel over the last maybe 15 or 20 years. Uh, I, I don't think the traditional organizations have come up with the right answers. We've lost a lot of people. A lot of young people seem to be going away, although I've now found a lot of young people who are still involved and still want to be involved. but. Uh, so one day I was I was in uh, Aspen, Colorado, uh, for a couple of weeks in the summer, and uh, David Horowitz from the Times of Israel gave a lecture, and he the lecture was about the fact that these trillions of dollars, actually sixty eight trillions of dollars, are going to be given to the next generation, uh, mostly North America, but sometimes internationally as well, and and that, of that he gave some statistics about. Uh, I don't know, uh, 20% of that might be going to a Jewish God, Jewish situation, you know, to Jewish kids. Right. And what would the next generation do what these generations have done? And, uh, and I thought about it for a couple of years and, uh, uh, I never had come up with an answer, which disturbed me because I've seen, for example, with the big foundations in Judaism, only 11% of their money is given Jewishly. 
uh, in total, or the total amount available that they give every year. Something like 89% goes to non-Jewish causes. And I'd walk through the MoMAR in New York, and I'd see every room named by a Jew, and most of those Jews, I couldn't see their names on the Federation list of any traditional Jewish organization. But I had no answer. Uh, and then, strangely enough, a couple of years later, I was in Aspen again, and uh, the head of the lay head of the Jewish Federation of Atlanta, Mark Silverman, who was staying in the same building with me, said, let's go out for breakfast. I said, well, are you soliciting me? He said, no. He said, you've already given your gift. I said, okay. <laughs> so we went for breakfast, and then he said to me, look, you need, I need a favor from you. Uh, can you put a little money in the, in the Jewish Foundation at the Federation? And I said, well... Hi, sure. If you, I'll do you a favor. I'll, I'll set up three donor advised funds for my three, one for each one of my sons. And I, I'll start them with $50,000 each. And then I'll add some in every year, depending on what this financial situation is. So he, he said, that's great. So I went home and I talked to my wife and I said to my wife, uh, uh, I'm going to do this for our kids. I have three sons, actually. And seven grandchildren and three daughter-in-laws. That's the way it works. So at any rate, uh, my wife said to me, well, how do you know they're going to spend the money Jewishly? And uh, I said, I don't. I don't know. So then a bell rang in my head that said, uh, gee whiz. Uh, I said, so I said to my wife, well, what do you think? She said, well, I think they ought to spend, if you're going to put it in the funds, they ought to spend at least 75% of the money Jewishly. And then it rang a bell with uh, what David Horowitz said. I said, maybe I can come up with an idea of like something like the giving pledge, but a Jewish pledge that said, if you're leaving any money for charity and a donor advised fund or an estate plan, that maybe, maybe all I need is 50% of that what's being left to go Jewishly. And my wife said, agreed. And so I, I sat down with my children. I talked to my three boys there. This is a few years ago. So at that time, they're like 53, 51, and 48 to 49. And I said, I want to do this. They all agreed. Uh, it was a good thing to do. And then I came up with the idea of a Jewish future pledge. And that, that for leaving, leaving, the difference between us and the Buffett pledge is he's dealing with billionaires. And he's asking them to leave half their estate, half their estate uh, to charity. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a lot of money. I'm, I'm talking about any Jew who's leaving any money for charity, that 50 percent of it be Jewish and it's a moral commitment uh, to do the same as the giving pledge is sort of a moral commitment. Uh, and then you can do your estate planning, et cetera. But I also wanted to spread it to anybody, any Jewish professional, any individual that whatever they leave, whether it's $100 or $1,000 or $10 million. So, so we, we formed an organization. We formed a 501c3. We, meaning me, I hired Amy Holtz to work with me uh, to start it off. And, and uh, we went after some big foundations and, uh, and uh, to do it. But then I decided to go through different Jewish organizations as partners. We have many partners now. And uh, two years later, uh, almost two years later, two years will be February, it'll be two years. Uh, we've got about 3,435 oh, 3, as of last Sunday uh, signed up. Uh, many of those, uh, uh, a number of those are large foundations, Jewish foundations. And, uh, and a number of those are just individuals and some professionals who are working in Judaism who are young in their 40s who decided I want to talk to my kids. And that's a critical component 
to get the next generation involved in charitable giving. And I've got a lot of great stories we're building up on that. And uh, but that's how it started. And uh, today we have uh, the, the, not only the Jewish Future Pledge, I have a Jewish Youth Pledge, which doesn't deal with money, which deals with personal commitment. I have six organizations involved in that. Now we've got over 2,000, well, actually close to 4,000 signatures of young people committing to the state of Israel and the Jewish people and committing their efforts. That's great. So, so uh, it's, it's very, it's very, you know, you, we were talking about Hillel before. I'm doing a test at BU Hillel, uh, and he's already signed up 180 young people. Uh, to do this Jewish Jewish youth pledge, which is we haven't really publicized it much because we've been testing. So I have these two two brands, and uh, uh, and I'm sort of a brand guy. So I, <laughs> now I, have, I have four people working, uh, uh, two, uh, one, two, three, three are full time. Uh, I have two other part time, and uh, three other part time. So I got a whole organization. I'm running a business. <laughs> Well, I, I will definitely uh, sign the pledge after our, our call today uh, because I've always uh, been committed to doing that. And I, I uh, uh, you know, in our family, we grew up, uh, I have one daughter who, by the way, went to BU. Um, I have a lot of uh, money invested in that Boston area. Uh, tuition <laughs> these days is quite high. Uh, oh, I, know. I, had, I have five, I had four grandchildren at Tulane. There you uh, go. <laughs> I one more. One, the grand, I have a trip with boys. And I had a and niece at Tulane, so. Yeah. Yeah. I got but yeah. we uh, we always uh, beginning when she was about in high school, we uh, made our family commitments uh, every year and had her as part of the discussion. Yeah, and, that's uh, perfect. We formed a, a donor advised fund at well, it's not a donor, it's quasi donor advised at the Jewish uh, Family and Children's Services in in uh, San Francisco, which I was involved with for many years. And when the documents came to be signed, we were going over to dinner and the name of the fund was the Gary and Holly Cone Fund. And my daughter said, why isn't my name on the fund? And I said, well, why do you want you to be on the fund? She goes, well, when I when you're gone, I'm going to be making gifts to this fund. It's it's in perpetuity. So my name should be on it, too. You know, right. And, uh, I, I- I love it. I had, you know, I I, uh, I got involved in a very strange thing because there's, there's a, a hospitality professor in Edinburgh, Scotland, who happens to be Jewish and retired. So I got to meet him, and uh, and I took one of my sons over there for a meeting. This a Jewish cultural center. This person's been trying to build for years. And then my son called me. He's got one of these donor advice funds, and he said, "Can I give a thousand dollars to the Jewish Cultural Center in Edinburgh?" I said, "Of course you can. That's the whole idea." So, and I've gotten other stories like that, talking to people about how they're sharing their giving with their children. But on the other hand, you'd be amazed, Gary. I've talked to some very, very important Jews, important Jews in a sense, holding big positions in Jewish organizations. And some of the comments are, "Gee, you know, I've never really sat down and talked to my children what I'm doing." And so you're way ahead of the game if you're talking about because that's the real big need we have. We want to make sure that the next generation knows. And once again, we can say if you want to save whales, save whales with half with with that, but leave us the half because if not us, who? Who's gonna do it? <laughs> 
Well, one of the challenges in the Bay Area, and I still have obviously very deep connections there, though I live in L.A. now, is the next generation of some of the big foundations are not giving Jewishly at all. Um, there's a lot of people from uh, Levi Strauss family where there was one level that gave tremendously uh, to the Jewish world. And uh, the next generation downward are people in their probably their 30s and 40s now are not giving as much. And even the Karat Foundation, which is a major foundation, has yeah, a big Jewish, obviously a big Jewish uh, commitment, but they've also given a tremendous amount of money to civic situations in, yeah. in the, the Bay Area. And that's always good. There's nothing wrong with that, as you say, but give half to the Jewish world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the critical component. A lot of people say, why did you ask for more money? I didn't ask for more money. I, I want our people I want our people to give in their communities. I want to see on. I want to see the names on different places, but I want to see it done appropriately. And that's a fine. They should learn that giving is not easy. Giving is hard. And I've made mistakes in some of the giving myself. You need to know who you're giving to and what they're doing, et cetera, whether it be secular or non-Jewish or what. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's so important for these, for, especially in the big foundations, but also I, I think the individuals will come across fine when they talk to their children uh, because they, 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 we do have about 30% of Jews who, who are very actively involved in the Jewish world, including 80 to 100,000 Jewish professionals. And uh, these, these people also, we're working on them as well, but talk to your children. And, 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 uh, and I will tell you this, I'm, I've also been encouraged about some of the young people that I've dealt with in this youth pledge scenario, because there's an awful lot of commitments to that. And Marcus Foundation just made a major donation to bring more teens to Israel, uh, which we think is a major situation. And I'm working with that called one organization in terms of youth signatures and whatever, and, and uh, uh, Birthright and other organizations. JNF has been very good with that as well. But uh, I, I I'm, you know, I'm optimistic that the vehicle that we put out there is a vehicle for the generation that you and I and others are at, and perhaps our, our direct children uh, will be able to sustain it. But, but without any work in that direction, uh, and it also the pledges do give individual opportunities to organizations to see who's pledging and to be able to talk to, 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 to talk to them in terms of, of what allocations they may be making in a legacy gift to their own organizations and, 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 and getting the kids involved in that scenario, whatever. Well, that's one of the things the Grinspoon Foundation has done in the Jewish camping world was yes. uh, look at the uh, legacy gift programs. And I was on a camp board in California for nine years. And, you know, we were part of that program of rolling uh, out pledges, you know. Yeah, it's a bet. You know, I'll tell you, I'll just tell you an interesting story about camp. Because I think Jewish camps, trips to Israel, and Jewish education are three critical components of Jewish continuity. And I think statistically, they're, they're probably the highest. But I, I uh, uh, because of the director who I worked for and who, who didn't take me back, I, uh, I gave a significant gift to Camp Tevya that, that was building a small cabin for adult counselors, married counselors to come in and teach courses. And I named the cabin after Aaron Gordon and his wife Blanche. So I went to the ceremony. I went to the ceremony to, you know, to open, open the building. I had four of my campers 
when I was a counselor, come to the ceremony, they were all in their 70s. Wow. Can you believe that one? Wow. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I have tears in my eyes when I, when I, when I, when I talk about it. They, they knew what was happening because they were on the list and they all showed up and they were in their 70s. I had them when they were 10 years old. I mean, it's, well, that is an amazing thing. And then, one so, of the stories I like to tell is that uh, I was a camp counselor and administrator back in the early 70s. And there's about 20 of us that were all working together back then. And we have a monthly Shabbat dinner together still to this day, uh, the first Friday of the month, we all get together and we all were counselors and our kids went to camp. And, you know, the, 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 the strength of that is, is very true. Amazing. You know. Yeah, it's very interesting because I, I grew up in, say, in an Orthodox home, an Orthodox conservative home environment, and some of the things, I, my camp was quite, quite, uh, was sort of modern Orthodox conservative, leading, leading modern, modern Orthodox, and was kosher and all this, and, and we did things there at camp that I didn't even do at home. Like, for example, we did the Birkata Mazon after every meal. Right. We never did that. In, in my, in, even when my grandfather was the vice president of the show, we never did a beer cut my zone. I didn't even hear about it. They didn't teach me that in Hebrew school. So I got, I got uh, and I do some work in the Orthodox community now. And uh, I do some work with Olami and, uh, and with NCSY and a couple of other things. I'm pretty involved with Chabad as well. And uh, uh, so the other day I was out having lunch. And uh, it turns out this guy was uh, more Orthodox. So uh, we had lunch at a kosher restaurant here in Boca Raton. And, uh, uh, and, and I had a, a brisket sandwich. It was fabulous, too, I must say. <laughs> I haven't had brisket. It was smoked brisket. It was great. <laughs> and, he, and he said to Hamotzi, of course, because we had, we had, it was in a sandwich uh, bun, actually. So afterwards, uh, he gets up and he's he's he's, a, he's, a, he's not a rabbi. Right? He's just a, a guy in the insurance business. He's culture, very traditional guy, more orthodox. So I said, uh, uh, "Aren't you going to do the bikkur on own? So he said, "Do I have to?" I said, "Of course you have to. If once you had bread, you had to do it. You have to do a bikkur on own." <laughs> so he said, "Oh," he said, "Yeah, then you're right." I said, "Listen, just do the short form, not the long form." And he looked at me. He looked at me with this very strange look, like, how in the world would you know that, you know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, uh, I think, I think that's, that's I, I still remember the short form and the long form, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of there with, <laughs> with the short form. Yeah. So, I mean, those the memories from camp are the, the best, the best, they're the best. Very good. Um, let me uh, turn in one new direction. Obviously, the Jewish Future Pledge is a major uh, part of your life now. What other priorities do you have in the next coming year, a couple of years? Just to grow that pledge, or is there other uh, opportunities for you to look at? Well, I, 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 I'm an honorary board member of Birthright now. I've been on the Birthright board for 10 years, and they may be an honorary board member because I don't like to go to meetings anymore. Uh, right now, right now, uh, pretty much all my work is with the Jewish Future Pledge, the Jewish Youth Pledge, we also have a Jewish Now pledge, which is run by somebody else, which involves young Jewish professionals, young people. Uh, this particular organization uh, does uh, places young Jews into Jewish organizations, and they sign as Jewish uh, Go, uh, Now pledge. And uh, with that, they get they, they have to give a three year donation. Could be anything. Could be fifty dollars a year, a hundred dollars a year. And he places them in organizations. 
I, I think, I think, but I think most of most of the work that I'm going to be doing uh, Jewishly uh, today is going to be, in fact, I'd say 95% of it is going to be with the Jewish Future Pledge and the Jewish Youth Pledge. I think that we have, I mean, people ask me what my goal is. I said, I'd like to get a million signatures. Uh, they laugh at me. I said, look, I can go back in the hotel business when uh, uh, with one one company I was at, I, I, I uh, we had 250 hotels, and uh, and somebody said to me, "How many hotels do you really want?" And I said, "Well, give me a couple of years. I think I want to get to 500." They laughed at me. We made it. Uh, so I, I think I think if we can start the movement and generate it, uh, it'll take all my time. I think we'll be bigger. I think it'll take more people because we have to coordinate with the, with the partnership organizations. But recently. We started a campaign, a little campaign on Facebook. We got 1,900 signatures out of Facebook, wow. which is really amazing yeah. because because uh, that says it's out there, you know. And it, it, we had some communication problems in the beginning, Gary, because it was misinterpreted. People thought we were asking people to get 50% of their estate away, and we're not at like like Buffett. We're not asking people to get 50% of the say. It's only 50% of their charitable remain the dollars. That's right. what it is. So we've changed that. We've changed that with our marketing. So I, I think uh, next year, our hope is to double where we are. I hope to have 15 to 20,000 signatures total between the two groups. And I think we likely to have that. I think we're going to get there. And then if we can just... By year three, you know, I'm going to be 80, I'm 84 now. So I figure maybe I'll get three or four years left. I have the uh-huh. benefit of having one person who's the chairman, a guy by the name of Mark Silverman, who uh, who has just sold his business. And he's ready to, to help me almost on a full-time basis. He's been very involved with camping and other federation at the top levels. Uh, he's going to help me if something happens to me. He, he's asked, he says, he'll maybe take it over. I have a terrific COO who's young. So uh, I, I don't take us. I'd like to give it five years and then hand it over. Very good, very good. Well, thank you so much for taking part in our program, the Road to Philanthropy. It's been very exciting to hear your story and to learn more about the Jewish Future Pledge. And I look forward to having us come in contact with each other in the future. Please sign up, and uh, just just uh, all it takes is uh, you can sign up on the website. You can get a chance to see me and my wife and my kids. And what is your what is the address for the website? JewishFuturePledge.org. Terrific. Thank you for listening. We want to stay connected with you. Be sure to stay connected with our community by giving a like to our Facebook page and following our Instagram at PaintedRock underscore Advisors. Our podcast is available on all of your favorite platforms. We'll see you at our next release. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.